0: You guys are sick of me from this morning. I can just go ahead and sit down now and we can have someone else stand up. Otherwise, I'm glad and happy to be able to stand before you all again and to uh, thankful for Josh for allowing me to, to uh, take the pulpit for, off his hands for a, for a Sunday. And thankful for all of you for being here so we can focus our minds together on God's things and uh, bow our hearts in worship like we just sang about. Um, part of that worship is opening up God's Word and studying from it together. Um, if you turn with me to Proverbs chapter 27 verse 6, we're going to be talking about that passage in just a little bit, but first I want to ask you something. Are you struggling? Got different stuff going on in your life, kind of difficult things? I would imagine that if, if you don't live under a rock and just do nothing all day, then you do have various struggles that you deal with. I know I do, and I know that something that's vitally important for getting through those struggles is my very good friends, friends here at Lakeside, my friends up in Richmond, the friends I've made everywhere, are, are vitally important in dealing with those struggles. We need each other. We need each other. And like I said this morning, when when I would lose a friend, even when I was younger, and even still today, it would just absolutely break my heart. And I kind of was born out of this fear that I had of, of being alone. For the longest time, that was a that was a huge stumbling block for me. Was, I was just terrified to sit alone in my own mind. I would always try to occupy myself like a lot of people do. And In my generation and I I think some in in older generations of, well, I'm all alone and I'm kind of alone here with the silence of my mind, so I'm going to hop on social media and see what everybody else is up to or get on YouTube and just kind of distract myself or just, you know, maybe open up a newspaper or a book and just kind of fade away and not pay attention to the thoughts that I'm having because I was terrified of being alone with my own thoughts. And so I relied really heavily on my friends. Now, it's not a bad thing to rely on your friends, of course, but... When I was in high school, that got me into a lot of trouble because I, I leaned so heavily on my friends that, and I was so afraid of losing them that I'd go in whatever direction that they wanted to go. And that's pretty dangerous. And that's pretty dangerous. That was pretty dangerous for me. I lost my way pretty bad. So I think this is something that a lot of younger people struggle with. I think it's something that all people struggle with, that all, all members of the church struggle with, is uh, being afraid of, of contradicting what our friends that are out in the world may do or what they may be about in our friendships. However, that fear of being alone, it shouldn't cause us to fret so much that we cling desperately to our, our worldly friendships and, our, and these worldly ideas that our friends may, may kind of pull us in the direction of that, that we forget about who God is. God knows that we need good friends to keep us steady. He knows every need that we have. And He supplies those needs, though not always in the most conventional way, not always in the way that we think is best. And I think that's highlighted very well in this passage from Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6. If you open up your Bibles, Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6 here in the the wisdom literature is a very curious verse. A lot of the verses here in Proverbs are kind of, it's a little bit of a head scratcher, but if you'll bear with me. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 6, we read, Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Most of y'all can understand why I think this verse is kind of curious. It's kind of weird that a friend would be inflicting wounds. That would be a faithful thing. And an enemy would be uh, giving a thing, a affectionate gesture like a kiss. And that would be considered profuse or, or profane or wrong or, or perverse or, or anything like that. Now, it seems nonsensical, but it's actually filled with great and, and deep wisdom here. A lot of people have wrong ideas about what it means to be someone's friend, to have to have friends out there that are in the world or that are in the church and and how we're supposed to conduct with that because society's narrative of friendship is actually a lot different than the biblical narrative of friendship and we have got to kind of gauge ourselves on well where do I line up with some of these things? So so what I want to do today is I want to examine, I kind of want to I kind of want to first look at, at what worldly friendship looks like in the context of uh, of, of what does it mean to build a friendship on a worldly basis. And you can look with me in James chapter 4 and verse 4. In James chapter 4 and verse 4, we can read a verse that undergirds this, this idea of, of worldly friendship and about how it can be kind of dangerous to have ties with people based solely on worldly material things. James chapter 4 and verse 4, James writes that here regarding the subject of, of friendship, of allegiance, of fellowship. He says, "Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God." Now, the Bible tells us that if we want to place our allegiances based on the world's standards, then we're inevitably going to find ourselves at odds with the world, at odds with the Lord, rather. That if we try to place all this basis on that, well, then we're gonna we're gonna make ourselves at enmity. With God, and why is that? Well, first, what I want to do is I want to talk about the the wrong base that comes with a friendship that is is worldly and that is concerned solely with worldly things. The uh, our friendships all have a root somewhere, something that holds it together and makes it stable, that, that keeps it together. And I'll pause it to you that that there's three possible bases that a worldly friendship can have. The first is proximity. Some people are friends just because they are close often. And what I mean by that? I mean, some people are friends because they sit next to each other at work. They have adjacent cubicles. And that's the only reason they were friends. If they didn't see each other at work, they'd not be friends. There would be no friendship there at all. And, and some people are only friends because they, they're neighbors. And, and that's the only basis for their friendship. And of course, if... If someone moved away in and, and a friendship that was based only on this, now listen to me, I say only on this, not, not that this is part of it, but that it's only on proximity and only on close, closeness of distance, well, then what happens when that person moves away? What happens when they get moved in the, into the, the cubicle across the office at work? Well, then you're not friends anymore. There's no allegiance there because there was no base, so it kind of falls out from under itself. Another potential base that we see in worldly friendships is utility. Utility. What do I mean by utility? Well, have you guys ever seen the, the Saturday morning cartoons or maybe the, oh, the, the over the top villains in different movies that they kind of, the, one of their henchmen, they kind of maybe toss them off a cliff or something and they go, you've outlived your usefulness and kind of, ha. It's exactly the attitude behind a friendship like that or allegiance behind that. It's, it's, how useful is this person to me? You know, how, what can they do for me? Sometimes it's a, I scratch your back, you scratch mine kind of thing. So in a friendship like this, it seems all well and good until somebody becomes useless, until somebody becomes laid up, maybe in the hospital, or someone is, is, is unable to do what they once were able to do for that person, uh, uh, unable to, to help them in the way that they were helping them. And then what, what happens? Well, this, the friendship just dissolves because there was no real depth. There was no substance to it. It was solely based on utility, on usefulness, and that's dangerous too. Another base, a wrong foundation that can happen in worldly friendships is, is particularly dangerous. Uh, the basis of fun. Why do I say fun is such a dangerous base? Well, because like you get carried away with that. We can have a little too much fun, and we can get carried off into sin in some of our friendships. You know, uh, just hanging out with the boys, and someone says, "Well, you want to have a couple drinks," and then a couple drinks become a couple more drinks, and then you're just having way too much fun, and you fall out from under yourself, or or, or you're led off into sin in some other kind of way in that friendship, or. Or the friendship completely dissolves because it stops being fun. Because maybe maybe one of you decides to become a little bit more boring and, and loses a hobby that you have in interest. Says, I, I'm not interested in that anymore. I, I, I want to knit now. That's my thing. I want to knit. We all agree knit's boring, okay? I'm just kidding. Knitting's not boring. Some, some, some people it's really exciting. But um, the, the, the basis of fun, uh, it can fall out from under itself. It can just completely fall from under itself. So if our friendships are based on proximity, utility, usefulness, or pleasure, or enjoyment, like how, how fun it is only, and that's everything that my friendship is built on with someone, well, that, that friendship might completely fall out from under itself and, and break into pieces. All those might seem like really, really strong foundations, but, but if they're based on those, those material things and those worldly things, well, well they're not the, the deepest and the best kind of friendship that we can have. And we have to acknowledge that. We have to, uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Or we have to do first, 1 Corinthians 15, 33. We have to know that, that not only are worldly friendships, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 33, if you turn with me there, that worldly friendships are not only, they're not only built on the wrong foundations a lot of times, uh, not, a, not a correct basis, but they're also very, very dangerous things. They have a certain inherent danger to them. And what is that? Well, Paul tells us the danger of keeping company with those who who may desire to influence us for the worse. Now, we're told that, that we're to be the salt and the light of the world if we're Christians, right? So what does that mean? Well, that means that we have to be influential people. I'm not saying, like, we have to be politicians, all of us, and we have to... Be, be extremely powerful and throw our weight around in the world. No, I'm not necessarily saying that. But I'm saying we have to be people who are capable of having a, a strong influence on others by our behavior and by be a bright of a light as we can be. Well, that light's naturally going to be dimmed if we, if, if, if the, we allow darkness to come into our lamp, so to speak. And if we allow other people to become the influencers on us and we become the influencees, if these people are out in the world, well, that's what can happen. Now, I'm not saying that we can't be friends and we have to just shun everybody out in the world and say all of our friends that aren't Christians, well, well, we don't have nothing to do with those people. But I'm saying we have to be very cautious and make sure we're the influencer and not the influencee in those relationships. Remember in John chapter 3 and verse 20, Jesus said, For everyone who does wicked things, in John chapter 3 and verse 20, John 3, verse 20, Jesus talked of how his own immense light, his refusal to be influenced and his desire to be the influencer caused many people to, to dislike him and to hate him. That everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his work should be exposed. People that are engaged in sin, I can tell you as someone that, that was once actively and, and just willfully engaged in sin, do not want to hear about light and good and peace and happiness because they're entrenched in darkness and wickedness and when and when they are they're settled into their sin that's that's not necessarily what they want to hear it's what they need to hear but it's not necessarily what they want to hear because as Jesus says it exposes their darkness so what would they rather that you do as your as you being their friend as a Christian well what they want to see you do is they want to see you fold they don't want to see you fold just once they probably want to see you fold over and over again they want to see you take a couple drinks with them they want to see you start letting your tongue slip and start saying a little a couple curse words here they are gossiping with them or get sucked into that kind of stuff and, and and they want to see that because it makes them feel at ease in their sin and they don't realize that i don't think people think about it that way i don't think they think man I, i'm trying to make my christian friends slip no i don't think most people think about it that way. there might be some that do and if, if those are your friends then get out but but i'm saying people feel more at ease when you're not challenging them, but jesus was the kind of person that if you wanted to hang out with jesus If you wanted to spend time with jesus, you were going to be challenged Over and over again. He was going to challenge you to be a better person He was going to look right into your heart and he was going to tell you what you needed to do to be better And some people just can't handle that But we don't need to make an apology for that We need to continue in that and we need to be the influencers rather than the influences lest we fall into into temptation along with them and be subject to the dangerous aspects of having a friendship that is solely based on worldly things so that that if someone wants to see us slip and they want to see us fall and that's their intention they're, they're definitely not a true friend but if they respect who we are i think we can all agree if our friends maybe they don't agree with everything we believe but if they respect our convictions, we make those convictions known and they respect them, well we're going to have some kind of positive impact. Number 1, and number 2, we're going to see who our real friends are. But you can't know who your real friends are if you're constantly people pleasing. Paul said that. He said, "Am I now trying to please men?" No. Because we can't know we can't even know who's really who, who's who's really respects us if we don't show them who we really are. So we have to show them by our actions and by our fruits. Flip over to uh, Matthew chapter twenty-six and verse forty-nine now. So, talking about uh, true friendships, another element of true friendships is that they're really, really stable. That they're loyal and they stick around. But, but worldly friendships, fi- friendships that are built on sinking sand, those are very, very unstable things. They're they're not steady and they're not constant. And we can't we can't. Be- we can't trust that they're always going to be there necessarily because, again, they're built on worldly things. Look at Matthew chapter 26 and verse 49. This is the ultimate example of that. Someone who had such a worldly mindset but had spent so much time with Jesus. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 49. Judas spoke kindly to Jesus. He even kissed him. Look, v- verse 49, Matthew chapter 26. says he came up to Jesus. That's Judas. At once and said, greetings, rabbi. Other translations, hail, rabbi. Peace be with you, teacher. And he kissed him. He says these nice words. He greets him. Same as a, if I come up to you in the foyer and give you a big handshake. And I just, how are you doing, brother or sister? Yet, you don't know. I've betrayed you. And now there's armed guards coming into the foyer because I've sold you out. Well, that's not a real friend. But I gave every instance and every impression in the foyer that we were friends. I shook your hand. I looked you in the eyes. I looked like we were friends. But but if if my mind is not coming from the right place and our friendship, not coming from a place of love, and it's fixed on what i can get from you well then yeah i'll sell you out in a heartbeat nobody edit that sound bite out of this sermon by the way and just have this is cain saying i'll sell you out in a heartbeat okay like but um this is um this is a principle that we see that 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 we can't necessarily trust a friendship that isn't based on godly principles so what what does what a real and a godly relationship a friendship look like what a what, what does it look like when I have a friendship that's built on things that come from God? Well, what I want to do now is I want to highlight the difference. What's the difference between a friendship that's solely based on worldly and material things versus the the spiritual type of things that, that God has taught us? Let's look together. Let's analyze together from the Bible. Look in Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 5. and I Kind of get a picture of what a godly friendship is built on. One quality of a, of a friend who has has some godliness to them and has some morality, is Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 5, where this is right before the passage we read earlier in the beginning of this sermon, Proverbs 27 and verse 5, better is open rebuke than secret love. This goes along with that curious verse that we talked about in the beginning, faithful are the wounds of a friend. Well, it's better that I receive an open rebuke from my friend rather than have them hide their, their real intentions from me. A godly friend will look at Galatians chapter two. Look in Galatians chapter two and uh, verse eleven, please. Turn turn over there. A godly friend will do like Paul did to Peter. Now Peter Peter's a, a variable rock star of faith. He's a giant of faith. Okay, uh, and and many would think, you know. He'll figure it out if he falls into some temptation. Peter will sort himself out. He's he's strong or whatever. But no, Paul said, I'm going to be a good friend to him. And I'm going to be honest with him, even if it hurts. Even if it's not what he necessarily wants to hear. I'm going to tell him what he needs to hear. Look in Galatians 2 verse 11. When Cephas came to Antioch, Paul says, I opposed him to his face. Because why? Because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back, separated himself and fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him so that even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. So Paul, he wasn't trying to embarrass Peter. He wasn't trying to hurt him. He wasn't trying to make a mockery of him. He wasn't trying to to, to degrade him. No, he wasn't trying to denigrate Peter. He was actually trying to lift him up. We're just saying, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord. He'll lift you up. That's what Paul's reminding and the admonition that Paul was giving to Peter. Apostle to apostle, (laughs) friend to friend. Brother to brother, and in the same way, a, a, a friend who, a, a friendship that's built on honesty is going to be a lot stronger than a friendship that's going to be built on proximity, on utility, on pleasure, any of those things. Those things are all very, very subjective, but, but honesty that's a constant, and that's going to be a firm basis for a friendship. Another firm basis for a friendship is, is this idea of service. That comes along with the friendship. Look in Proverbs 27 and verse 10. It's right there next to Proverbs 27, verse 5. in the the first verse we looked at this morning, Proverbs chapter 27, verse 10. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Uh, A godly friend, put simply, uh, a godly friendship is, is one wherein both members of that friendship are there for one another. They're not an absentee it's not going to be a, a friendship where I write this person and I say, I need help with this. I'm struggling. I need a prayer. And they go, they open up their phone or they, they, they tell you in the foyer, okay, well, we'll talk about it some other time. And they just kind of put it up and they say, well, we'll, I'll, we'll deal with that later. And they never get around it. They, they don't care. And, and, and they're not there and they're absent. That, that's characteristic of a worldly friendship. But, but a godly friendship, we're there for each other. I I'm certain if I was out in the foyer and I was breaking down crying or or wherever I was in the in the building after the service just weeping and I was just losing it and someone asked me Cain what's going on first of all I know somebody would ask me what's going on second of all it wouldn't even matter if I was like my goldfish died. Everyone would still try to comfort me. They would. Try, they would try not denigrate me and just just try to tear me down. They'd be honest with me, and they, and they would. They would have that that idea of service and try to help. Look in uh, Job chapter two and verse thirteen. Sometimes being there for someone, we think we we get kind of intimidated by this idea of being there for someone. We think, man, like I want to make myself available to my friends as someone they can lean on, and I want to be there for them, but I just don't know what to say when someone's going through it. Well, look in Job chapter 2 and verse 13. It says, his friends sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. His friends, they knew that them saying, there, there, Job, that wasn't going to help him. He'd lost everything. He was sick. He was, he was distraught. They weren't going to, there was nothing that they could say that was going to comfort him, and they kind of knew that. But what, did they take that as an excuse and say, well, we'll just leave Job alone. We don't really know what we'd say to him. No, they still showed him hospitality by making him feel like they were there and they showed him love and they showed him respect and they showed him a real and a godly friendship. I think that's beautiful. And I think that that's something that we could do more is maybe I don't know all the all the right words to say, but I just let people know if you just need to just say something, I'll just sit there and listen. Bare minimum. Just let me know what it is. And so, so that's, that's another thing that, that, that we can keep in mind that makes a really good godly friendship. But sometimes we do need to say something. And sometimes or sometimes people come to us and what they want is they want some counsel. And that, that's what a godly friend is, is, is going to do. Proverbs chapter 27, verse 9 now. in Proverbs 27 a lot because it kind of discusses this topic. But 27, verse 9 says, Oil and perfume make the heart glad. The sweetness of a friend comes from where? It comes from his earnest counsel. Now flip over to John 12 real quick, if you would. John 12. I know we're real active in our Bibles, but nobody can get mad at me for that, right? Okay. John chapter 12. A godly friend provides counsel. We're counselors to one another. I don't have a psychology degree or anything like that, but I do my best for sure. So John chapter 12. Now, among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks. So these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. Philip went and told Andrew. Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. So Philip, verse 22, went and told Andrew. There's some Gentiles wanting to talk to Jesus. Now, we can, some of us who have some historical context for this passage kind of understand that Jews hanging out with Gentiles was kind of a eh, kind of thing, kind of taboo. But, but still, Philip wanted to know, like, this is pretty serious. Jesus is here, so they probably need to talk to him too. So what do we do? And so he goes and he talks about it to Andrew. Why? Well, because he feels like he can trust him. And, he, and it seems like he went to him as though to say, should we go through with this? Should we, should we let them know? And I think that that's something that, that we all should be able to provide to one another is we need to, to be that Andrew in that situation and let people know, like, number one, yeah, well, I'll, I'll just be there for you like Job's friends were. But but also, if you need me to say something, if you need me to try and give some advice, I'll take a swing. You know, I'll, I'll give you the best counsel that I can in that situation. And we need to all develop that. That's a skill and that, that, that's a quality that a Christian should have. People, our, our friends that are out in the world, too, should think of you as someone who... Who has their head on their shoulders and can give good advice about how to live because we're not doing it based on our own wisdom we're doing it based on god's wisdom and we all look together to that and that's what it means to to give counsel from the word of god again sometimes with our friends we yeah we just sit there in silence sometimes we give them counsel but other times they just need a pick-me-up so what 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 else happens in a godly friendship well we encourage one another we give each other courage look in romans chapter 1 and verse 12 It's right there in the passage in black and white. Romans chapter 1 and verse 12, Paul wrote to his friends, his brothers in Rome. He says, that is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. He says, mutually encouraged by each other's faith, yours and mine. And I think that's awesome. I I think it's amazing that, that we can kind of bounce off each other. I can level up my faith. Y'all see that? And that makes you want to level up your faith. And I, I see all y'all growing, and that definitely makes me want to grow. And we just keep going and going and striving in love and keep leveling up. And we don't stop and we keep grinding that out and keep getting that, that, that furthered effort. And we, uh, what is it? Uh, rising tides raise all sails, right? And that's something that we can do. We can encourage one another and we can remind one another of our purpose. Look in Acts chapter 11 and verse 22 through verse 24. Acts chapter 11 and verse 22 through 24. Acts chapter 11, the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. They sent Barnabas to Antioch. Why did they send Barnabas to Antioch? Verse 23, when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. He exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Verse 24, for he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. So they, they decided to... To send Barnabas to Antioch. Why? Because they knew that Barnabas had this skill, that he was this kind of person, that he had this quality of being a, an encouraging person. The kind of person who can lift someone up out of, out of the muck and out of the mire and remind them of their purpose. And that's something that I think we should all strive for, that we should all try to be in here and in and amongst each other. And again, out in the world to encourage those that are lost out in the darkness, that feel like there is no light at the end of the tunnel, that we can show them that there is, and that's that's what it means to be encouraging. Uh, that have that that strength and that patience that comes from the Lord. Ultimately, what we're to do in that way, again, like I said, to be to show that light at the end of the tunnel. Now, we may not be the light at the end of the tunnel. That's Jesus. He is the, the He is the way. But we can still be a torch. Uh, you know, a tunnel is a long thing. So. So, we're not quite to the end yet in in this life. We're still alive. So, so we can't, we we haven't seen Jesus face to face, not literally. But, but, but what we have is, we have each other to light up the darkness. So, ultimately, what a godly friend and the most important thing that a godly person is going to be is they're going to be a light. Look in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 8. Peter's admonition, Uh, to use love as the fuel to our fire that keeps our torches burning here reminds us of who we are to be in our friendships and our relationships and our everyday life first peter chapter four and verse eight he says above all keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins when i say when i use this language of light i'm talking about pointing the way and i'm talking specifically about pointing the way to heaven. Look in Mark chapter two again. Mark chapter two and verse two through twelve. Mark chapter two and verse two through twelve. Mark two, verse two through twelve. Jesus had returned to Capernaum here, and as such, in Mark two, many people are gathered around and they want to see Jesus. They want to. They, there's different reasons. Some people, I'm sure, are just there, the, kind of with the crowd, kind of the bandwagon effect. Some, I'm sure, are there. To, 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 get something out of him, but, but a lot of people I'm sure, and, and I know are there because of their faith in Jesus. Looking, starting in verse 2, it's kind of a long read, but, but please bear with me here. Mark chapter 2, verse 2. Many were gathered together so that there was no more room, even at, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, that being Jesus. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. When they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes are sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, receiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? how amazing is it that these four men who they could have said they could have looked out to the crowd with their, their paralytic friend and they could have said ah we'll never make it through the crowd we'll just go on without him sorry ted we're just going to leave you here no goodbye. we're going out to the crowd to see jesus bye man they could have taken the excuse that yeah they take him there and then they say well there's a big crowd but there's no there's no room at the door And we can't get him through the door in his bed. They're they're just not going to happen. Ted, we're going to take you over here, and then we're going to go see. No, they still didn't do that. They literally went up on the roof. It's almost cartoonish, the effort that they put in to help him. But it's real, and this is true, that that, that these men really cared so much about his friend that they wanted to get him to Jesus at all costs. is that not amazing? I I believe that this is a physical example of everything that a godly friend is, they knew. They knew who Jesus was. And ultimately, they were being a light to their friend because they were showing him, I'll do everything it takes to get you to the way to heaven. I want to point you and I want to show you. So they got him there and he received the forgiveness of his sins. Not only that, but he got a pair of legs as a bonus and he could walk. Amazing. That's just amazing. And so a godly friend, being a light and, and, and being a, a friend that, that understands godly principles, what you're going to do is, is you're going to remind people of Jesus. Your life is going to remind people of Jesus. Now, in one way, I'm saying, you're yeah, you're going to literally, with your mouth, remind people of Jesus. You're going to be praising the Lord and, and saying things like, I'm grateful to God for X, Y, and Z in my life. I, I thank God for this. I thank God for you, my friend. But also that just your actions and just your example as a friend is going to make them say, I see Jesus in that. And, and the fact that we can do that is incredible. Because what we basically are is we're mirrors. Do you know what I mean when I say that we're mirrors? We can't look directly into the sun, so to speak. We, we can't look up into, into the sky for too long or we'll go blind. But we can look into the reflection of the sun and that's what we can be. Jesus may not be physically here and among us. So we, can't, we can't stare into the sun. But we can see that reflection in each other. Now, the mirror may be a little cracked. It may be a little dusty. It may not be at the perfect angle all the time. But nonetheless, we can see Jesus in each other. Different pieces of Him, but we can see Him. And together, we come together to make that whole and complete and unified body of Christ. And it's just, it's just humbling to think that we can be a part of that together. That we can be part of, of, a, of a greater and a higher purpose and, 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 and be unified in that, in friendship. Look, look, this is my final verse here. John chapter 15 and verse 13. We're told in John 15 verse 13, a lot of us know this by heart, the back of our hand. Greater love has no one than this. Do what? What does a great friend do? Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Jesus. Did that? Jesus preached it. He lived by it, and he died by it. He was raised by it. By that very word, he is honest. Every word that Jesus spoke was 100 percent, absolutely true. Jesus is honest with us. He he is fully real with us. He is real. He is not. He, he's he's not just. He doesn't just tell us the truth. He is. The truth. Everything he does is 100 percent true. He's he's a counselor. He's a listening ear for us. He's there through all of our strivings and our sufferings, and and he's he's there in the storm. Even if he's sleeping, he's so relaxed in the storm. Even if he's sleeping in the in, in the boat, he's there with us in the boat. He's our counselor. He's he's our encouragement. He he lifts us up, and he reminds us that we can, we can. Pray more. We can open our Bibles every day and study it. We can, if we're men, we can get up and help and, and lead with the services, and, and we can help with the local congregation and the efforts that we're doing. And, and we can mobilize, and we can get out in the community, and we can convert people, and we can or we can we can help get them to the to, to to the way to see Jesus, and that we can encourage them. And He reminds us of that. He is our encouragement, and He is our faith. He is the light. He wants for us. To go to heaven, to be with him and to see that light at the end of the tunnel that he is so that we can go toward it and that we can we can join him. It says in him, there's no darkness, just as the father who sent him in him, there's no darkness. Jesus is the light. He is all the things that we could possibly ask for in a friend and more, more than we deserve. And still yet, he gave his life for us all. He gave us everything. So let me ask you this as I conclude here. Are you a friend to Jesus? Are are you a godly friend to your friends out in the world? Are you a mirror shining the light and the friendship that Jesus offers us back into the world? I want you to earnestly consider that. We talked a lot about friendship today. Y'all are probably sick of that word. But but we need to go out and, and we need to take all this that we've taken in today and that, that I've ran my mouth about now for, for maybe a little too long, that we could that we could shine that out and that we could we could express it and we could share it with other people. And, and not necessarily be, uh, have, have friendship with the world, but be a friend to the people that are in the world and show them the love of God and ultimately be unified altogether in the body of Christ. Are you a friend to Jesus? He says, if you are my friend, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Have you kept those commands? Do you believe in Jesus Christ? Have you confessed his name? Have you repented of your sins? Do you have friendship with Jesus? Have you been buried with him in baptism? Uh, are, are you, have you completely let your sin die? And been risen to walk anew. That's when you enter into that friendship. You can't say I love Jesus. You can't say I'm a friend of Jesus if you haven't been baptized and if you're not living as a Christian. So if you're not, if if you need anything, I'll be standing right here. We stand. We stand.